Welcome to the 23rd episode of the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. This episode features Gallant, the newest book from V.E. Schwab. Spoilers are between the 48 and 1 hour 28 minute marks. We discuss the main character, Olivia Pryor, as well as all the mysteries surrounding her and Gallant. We also talk about what possessions we have that are similar to Olivia's mother's diary, as well as how much we appreciate Schwab's writing. We finish with our usual segments and scoring. So with that, let's hear it. Well, Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Taja and Russell, they both love reading books. Well, what do you do when you share such a love? Well, you start a club, you start a club, an adult book club, an adult book club, and a podcast. Welcome to the 23rd episode of the ABC Pod, the Adult Book Club with Taja and Russell. I am Russell and she is Taja. Hello. Hello. Welcome back, everybody. We appreciate you joining us for another episode. Before we get started today, we do want to mention that today's episode is dedicated to our friend, Uncle Jesse. Uncle Jesse, you will be so missed. Uh, Uncle Jesse is our friend Nern's cat who recently passed, and we just wanted to say that we are thinking about both her and him, and this episode is for him. So shout out to Uncle Jesse, wherever you are, we hope you are in a happy place. Indeed. We love you, Nern. We love you so much. So with that, today's episode is going to be focusing on Gallant by V.E. Schwab. Uh, We're very excited to bring this to you. Uh, This is our second time doing a book by Schwab, but before we get to that, it has been two weeks. Taja, what have you been up to? Well, I'm trying not to get COVID because it seems like everybody around me is getting it. Yeah, I feel like, again, I am terrible at this two-week catch-up thing, trying to think if anything exciting has happened in the last two weeks and there's not a dang thing I can think of other than it may actually finally be spring maybe it was like 19 degrees earlier in the week and now it's like 43 so I'm hoping that this kind of warmer streak sticks because spring is my fave nice and I'm really ready for warm weather and or warmer weather it's funny I was talking to a customer in Florida and he was like how's the weather in Burlington Vermont and I was like oh you know it's warm today and he was like what's warm and I was like oh it's 54 and he was like no that's not not warm and I realized you know all being all things being relative that that may not be warm to a vast majority of people but when earlier in the week like it was I think that same day, it was probably like 20 degrees when I left my house and it was that big of a difference in one day. I'll take it. Yeah, it is is one of the things that always blows my mind about when you live in a place with four seasons where 40 degrees in the fall, you got your winter coat on because you're so used to the summer heat. 40 degrees in the spring, you're like, oh my God, t-shirt and shorts, let's go. Now we're coming back to the real world here. Yeah, you got like windows rolled down and it's only like 54 degrees. I found something recently on the social media that said Vermont's season. So winter, fake spring, winter again, mud season, spring for real though, summer, deceptive fall, second summer, real fall, and then stick season. 
<laughs> that's accurate. Like we don't have four seasons. We have that many. We have many. Yes. Many much seasons, which like I was telling this guy, I was like, you know, I, every time I'm scraping snow and ice off of my car, which because I have a garage is rarely, I'm telling myself, I'm so glad we don't have natural disasters. I don't have to worry about hurricanes. I don't have to worry about tornadoes. I don't generally, I mean, we've had a couple earthquakes, but not anything to speak of. Like I can take some winter. I'll complain about it till the cows come home, but I'll take it. That's fair. I mean, we all get something, right? You know, come on. Yeah. Let us complain about snow and all that other stuff. Right? Uh, no, but I'm really excited for this time of year, though, because sugar on snow, which like non-New England people maybe don't know about, but as a Vermonter, it's like a really big deal for the springtime when they make maple syrup and they put maple syrup on a pile of like snow cone snow. It's really good. And the place we go serves it with pickles and a donut. I'm really excited. And we might go tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> this is my least favorite time of the year because uh, like Monday, it didn't get above freezing, but the hockey rink's gone. So there's no point for it to be that oh, cold. No. As another year, another season is in the books, uh, but it is also this that time of year where like you've been trapped inside or I've been trapped inside so long that I am all about yard work right now. Oh yeah. So, taking down the rink was exciting. I had to reorganize the shed to put in all the new pieces of wood that we bought, but that was fun too. And then I spent three hours pulling up weeds and thorns and vines and all this stuff that has bothered me for years on our front hill. And I'm looking forward and that's a little bit of a not true. Uh, we're going to try, <laughs> or I'm going to try to plant grass down there. Cause it always, it's just basically overgrown with like weeds and thicket and thinking. stuff. And so I figure if it's grass, I'll just mow it and that will keep it at least not full of thicket and weeds and grossness. Such a hill. How are you? It is. Yeah, it's going to suck, but I would rather have it maintained than <laughs> what it is because like when my birthday comes around and people would come up, I go down there with a weed whacker. So yes. it doesn't look as Jurassic Park as it is. <laughs> so I think I would I'm rather just- yeah, I don't go in the long grass. Yeah, but I would, so I'd rather just keep it maintained so I don't have to worry about it. So we'll see how that goes. My uh, other big thing was this past Monday actually was uh, our good friend Sully's birthday turned 35. Hey. Uh, they had a celebration on Sunday. So I ended up going up there late and I hung out with him for the night. We played the game that was formerly known as Drinking and Dragons for the first time in quite some time. Uh, so, so that is always fun always ends uh, a long night and we watched the new jackass movie which was okay um, wait there's a new jackass movie jackass forever yep it just it came out happens. last month or so wow. i will say it seemed like a handoff to like the next generation it was it seemed like a lot of stunts that they didn't want to do so they just like had other people do it and they laughed at them power to you yeah whatever works for you so yeah. you know it's a little bit of normalcy. They had like a bigger party. Uh, I ended up, like I said, being late, but kind of getting a little bit back to normal. We'll see uh, as the year progresses with that. But uh, that was my big news. Nothing else really going on. I'm excited slash not excited. I think I'm going to expand my rock wall this uh, summer. So, woo, so many things to look forward to. For yeah, that. I'm excited for like gardening time to happen again. Right. And I think it's, it's just that time, that time of year where we're just looking forward to getting outside. And it should be noted that with like the whole Ukraine invasion situation happening, that like growing our own food probably wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> like, they're pretty important to like the world's food <laughs> and they're not going to be able to plant much if they're, if 
fighting off invaders. Start your garden. That was my now. political statement done. <laughs> and that will be on our future podcast. Right. Also now. <laughs> So with that, uh, if you want to take a look at the beautification of our properties or the books we read or anything like that, make sure you're following us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Adult Book Club 21. Uh, You can see whatever we're up to. I always love posting before and after pictures because it just makes me feel happy to look back on something and feel accomplished. Yeah. I mean, if if not for you, for me. So don't worry about (laughs) it. Uh, But follow us there, Adult Book Club 21. Finally, before we get to the book, we're going to talk shout outs. So folks, we are getting rid of the shout out of the episode. We've been scrounging the bottom barrel for quite a while where we don't even know who to shout out anymore. We're giving it to people. We don't even know if they listen or not. So we're getting rid of that part. We're just going to get to the books faster for you folks. But if you want us to shout us out, shout you out, uh, let us know and we will. Totally. We don't care. If I was listening to a podcast, I'd want them to shout me out. Why not? Oh, heck yes. This is spring cleaning of the podcast. Yes. We get rid of things we don't need anymore. Cleaning up some segments as we continue moving through our first year uh, of doing this. So without further ado, we now move into the book Galant by V.E. Schwab. This is her second time on the podcast. We covered her last novel, The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, in episode two last year. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and take a listen. With Gallant, this is her third solo standalone novel after The Near Witch and The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. She has also written several duologies and series for all age levels from early reader through adult fiction. Previously, she released her adult books under the V.E. Schwab mantle while using Victoria Schwab for her YA and early reader. But last year, she decided to release everything as V.E. Schwab moving forward. I put that in here because I think this was a little bit younger uh, as I was reading it, but I'm not 100% sure on that. So it would have been interesting to see how she released this before she made that decision. (laughs) Moving forward, it will always be V.E. Schwab. And that is an author that you should read. So on that note, Tajik, go ahead and read us the jacket, please. Um, All right. I also just want to point out that I pronounced this differently than Russell. Uh, The shadows are not real. The dreams can never hurt you. You will be safe as long as you stay away from Gallant. All her life, Olivia Pryor has wondered who she truly is and where she belongs. Her only clue is a slim, battered journal, her mother's journal, full of entries that seem to show that she was unraveling and drawings that look like blots of ink, until Olivia notices a hand, a door, a bloom, a skull. Then a letter beckons Olivia home to Gallant, the one place her mother's journal warns her never to go. Olivia goes anyway, of course she does. What she finds is her last living relative and her family's manor a manor with a ballroom and a sitting room and a study and a sprawling vibrant garden and the crumbling ruin of a garden wall with an iron door, a door she must never open. But no one at Gallant sent Olivia that letter and no one will tell her what haunts her cousin's dreams, what happened to her mother and what lies on the other side of the wall. Did the shadows call Olivia home? What will they ask of her in return? Boom, boom, boom. Interesting. And I will say one other thing that I saw Schwab post about this book was she came up with this during uh, the initial quarantine two years ago. And her idea, her whole idea behind this was a door in a garden and what was behind it. So that's amazing. Right. It's like you don't have to have the whole plot thought out. It's a door on a crumbling wall in a garden. What's behind it? I like I long for that amount of creativity. Right? That's I just, where you can just dive off of that. Yeah, no, no kidding. She probably uh, like 
peas, creativity and things like that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so normal. I, you know, I'm sure it is. I have to like wring it out of myself. <laughs> but it's also still work. I'll say that following her, sure. you, you see the work that they put in and a lot of authors put in, like it, there's something to be said for these people. There is a creative part to them that I think is specialized, but they also have to have that drive where it's like, yeah, let's, let's, let's get into this. And something I should mention that I really appreciate about them is that she struggles and she shares her struggles and she's just so freaking real like you know I think even in this book in the acknowledgments like she talks about just how much she second guesses herself and I think that's like such a human thing especially in somebody like to see that in somebody that is clearly so creative and so talented and successful in what she has put out into the world to see that she is not always super confident is just like really great. And it is one of those things that's wrong with our civilization is that hero worshiping. Like you see it with athletes, you see it with actors, with authors, famous people, whatever. We think they are so above us. And it's so funny that it doesn't happen with everyone, but with our interactions we've had either online or with people in person at cons and things like that, you're like, wow, they seem like so normal. So real. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) because they they are, (laughs) they have the same issues we have. Uh, They're just becoming more open with it now, whereas maybe before they weren't. So I do appreciate that as well with her, that she shows the struggle uh, and what it takes out of her putting this kind of work forward also two things about her social media like she is really great about sharing her I don't want to call it her like writing process but just sort of like her organizational process she has phenomenal handwriting one two her like the scheduling thing she does she's posted a couple times on her Instagram is like mind-blowing a that she has that focus and b that like it comes to fruition the way it does and also she just recently started a second instagram of the dogs she takes pictures yes. of dogs like in her town that she lives in and it is the most pre- i mean she's a cat person like she has cats and takes pictures of it's just like dogs she meets when she's out at cafes and walking and stuff and i love it so much <laughs> I will say, for those of you just joining us for this episode, we did warn you at the end of last episode that we would be gushing about oh, this book and author no matter what. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like we talked like we know her. And we, oh, yeah. We oh, know no, her. our friend. Our yeah. friend. Our friend. Victoria. Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> Let's get back to our friend's work. Uh, so moving back to Galant. It's interesting because uh, as I was typing this up, I was thinking about the books we've been covering lately and our books have been focusing on outcasts lately. And that theme does continue here with Gallant. Uh, what did you think of our protagonist, Olivia Pryor, as we see her struggles and her outcastedness? Her outcastiness. I thought she was super interesting. I think that the fact that she was mute, I thought that was just a really interesting whole situation. I'm very curious about like why and how, you know, from like a character perspective. But I thought that that really lent itself to her outcastedness. Yeah, I will say Um, it was, I I would love to know about that choice. What made her have that choice? Because this character, if she could speak, would be completely different. This whole story would be completely different. Uh, Because that is what makes her an outcast and be made fun of by the other girls at the uh, school which is kind of like an orphanage it sounds like yeah but just for girls but she is separated over and over and over again and they like it's it's a bit of ridicule where they're like well why don't you have your chalkboard 
it's like, why doesn't anybody learn how to sign? Learn how to sign, exactly. Why is it that I have to wear a chalkboard around my neck just so you can communicate with me? Like, fuck you, put in some effort. (laughs) For real. And I, I think that it, it really makes for an interesting aspect to a character who it's not that she can't communicate. It's like, you're saying like the other, the other half of the, the communicative party is not willing to take that step. And so it puts you in this weird, like, you know, she's an outcast for other reasons. I mean, she's an orphan. Like she has no clue about her origins, her parents, her mom, anything. And to have like also no way to voice your opinions, your thoughts, your feelings, like puts you in this really awkward spot. And I think, I mean, obviously she has other skill sets, (laughs) but it turns the person into somebody who can't defend themselves. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know where I'm going with that. Well, it's, it's interesting because you see it at the school where people just think she's stupid. Right. Because she can't speak and, and she's not stupid. She's actually incredibly smart, but because they don't have the way of communicating with her and she is definitely stubborn, uh, oh, yeah. which not being in her position, I can only assume that I would probably be too. Again, where it's, why am I the one who has to change who I am? Like you should be able to, to work this out too. So yeah. I think for her, they put her, they put her in this box and then it's like anything with kids. She's, like 14, I want to say somewhere in there, yeah. um, 14, 16, maybe a little older. And like, that's a terrible age for kids. <laughs> so as soon as you're seen as different, the other kids are going to gang up on you and pick on you and all that other stuff. And like, why would you want to be part of exactly? Yeah. Why would you want to be in that society? So uh, I just want to say something because the parallel between her situation at the orphanage school was very similar. I just listened to Queen's Gambit and I don't know if you've watched that or I watched the show I haven't read okay I mean it's like the show and the book were pretty freaking spot on um but like I had a lot while I was reading this book a lot of similarities just with the whole like kid in an orphanage and like kind of the outcast and like obviously the character in Queen's Gambit could speak and communicate and stuff but like she was still seen as like the the weirdo and yeah. I feel like that it's just so much more heightened and gallant because Olivia doesn't have the ability that the other kids do to clap back <laughs> immediately you know what I mean immediately yeah and it was interesting too I appreciated how much she appreciated noise yes. she talks about that so much how the sounds of a place meant so much to her and you see that too where like it was tough for me, how, and I'm sure it was tough for her, people could tune her out just by turning their back on her, right? It was as simple as that. We saw it later on when she got to the manor with Edgar. He would just turn away from her and that and that cuts her off from the conversation or whatever's happening in the room. You can't yell and, at somebody to listen. <laughs> exactly. But her response is, okay, I'm gonna break this vase. Like, <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, kind of thing. And I appreciated that. And there was some other stuff that happened at the orphanage too, where it was just like, her making noise and making her presence known like okay you want to tune me out I'm still here like she's a very quiet she's quiet because she can't speak but she's not a quiet person yeah so there's a lot to Olivia that I really appreciated and getting to know her and getting to know that outcast or outcast uh in the orphanage first 
I think was the, let me put on my writer hat. I think it was the appropriate way of introducing her because it just makes more sense as she gets to Gallant and learns or doesn't learn the mystery of that place and how she's treated there. You, you understand from her upbringing that she's tired of people thinking she's stupid or she can't understand things and stuff like that. So when she gets to Gallant, she's faced with all this mystery and rather than explain anything to her, they're just like, well, this is how it is you're going to be gone anyway. You need to get out of here kind of thing. So as she came to Gallant, what were some of the things that stood out to you as this mystery kind of deepens? So the very first thing that stood out was the way she described seeing the the fountain angel thing, like at the beginning of the, or like at the, I'm picturing it like a big manor house, so like a fountain and a little circular drive situation. And I think she just, given her whole lack of speaking, I feel like she was more observant than your average teenager probably is. And just like the foreshadowing of this whole like, hey, warning kind of situation was really interesting. I was very frustrated with how the, okay, let me back up a step. I was impressed that Edgar knew how to sign and could speak with her and like that was really cool and obviously like kind of a revelation to her because I think she probably at the orphanage was so used to people expecting her to change to fit their situation rather than the other way around and I think they said there was originally a a sister matron there who did oh but she had been gone for like for a while so he was Yeah. So she, she, yeah, she, it was a long time since she was able to actually communicate with somebody like that. So I do remember her being super excited when Edgar showed that he understood it. Yes. Oh, you mean at the orphan? Yes. Yes. But then I was just really frustrated by how her cousin, his gut reaction or any, all of their gut reactions to not telling her anything. Yeah. Like really frustrating and kind of just like an annoying, I don't want to say character issue, but just like, plot point to have them know that there's some serious shit going down and not share like obviously if there's something that you need her to stay away from say something and not make it vague you know obviously like the way that it she did discover things I thought was really cool but I was still really frustrated that they weren't just like here's they don't need to go into detail but just be like listen this is the general situation so you're not in the dark and you know do with that what you will yeah it's it's an interesting and always frustrating trope and I wonder how I would react in real life like we were talking about earlier like you know it's like maybe you should you should always explain more but what if you don't know that if then it's like, okay, do I give you this little bit or do I just say, oh, you're going to go talk to somebody else and they'll explain it. And then you just never know. Right. So I could see them looking at a 14 or 16 year old girl, however old she is coming in. They have no idea what she's been through. Obviously the people Who she is as a person. And obviously the people that have lived in Gallant are rough as hell. Like they've, they've been through a lot through the years. So I could see them being like, well, maybe she isn't ready for this. And you see it in other stories too, where it's like, you know, we're trying to protect you. We're going to protect you by not 
explaining what's going on. Giving you the information you need to have. Yeah. So if ever you find yourself in a haunted house and somebody new shows up, just explain to them what's going on, you know, kind of. Yeah. It it will be better for everyone. Unless I guess they're like five. Maybe. Maybe maybe they need to know. I do feel like that was something that was a little bit, not frustrating so much as like, if I had a newly discovered relative and I'm obviously there's like the animosity between her and her cousin or her cousin and her really it's not really on her part but like the fact that Hannah and Edgar don't immediately ask her a whole bunch about herself you know like sit down and have I mean obviously she can't communicate to everyone but like Edgar had enough that they could get through a conversation about what what do you know about your mom or what do you you know like answer her questions and let her tell you about herself. And then you'd be in a spot where you could be mutually beneficial to each other and decide what to tell about the situation. Yeah. And her showing up at the house with that letter from her quote unquote uncle, Uncle. to me, I thought meant, you know, oh, he's okay. He's dead. Well, he probably wrote it beforehand. You know, who knows how long post takes, but to see their reactions to it. And it was like, okay, so now she's shown up under mysterious circumstances you can tell by looking at her that she looks enough and like she, her mother yeah. that she is the daughter. So she, she is family, she yeah. you know? So, okay. Like, why don't we explain this rather than being like, well, we're just going to get rid of you tomorrow. You know? Yeah. I don't, and wouldn't you want to know anyway? I, I, unless they thought. Totally. Like, the they Even knew, if you are going to send her away. Yeah. Unless they thought the more they knew, the more she would be in danger, but they never said that either. So. No. And I I have a hard time believing that Matthew like cares enough about some stranger to be like, I'm going to protect you. That, that whole, especially once I like discovered what was like really going on, I had a hard, harder time with his, his reaction being like really upset. Um, And it felt, I mean, I guess later on, it kind of felt a little martyrish that he was all like, no, I'm the only one. But like, why wouldn't that at least like lighten your burden a little bit? Yeah, I think there's a touch that we can hit on that with spoilers, if we remember that I would get into with that side that I don't want to give away here. But I think if you think about his, where his frame of mind is, like he is pretty shattered by this point. So I can see, I can see that being like, I think he had a mind frame of what he was going through, at least had a purpose. And then her coming in maybe changes that purpose. So I can see that being like, what the fuck? What like the I was fuck? resigned to yeah. this and now you're here and you fuck up everything and you're going to ruin it. And I don't know. So I, I, I can all the more reason to have a conversation about what's really going on I'm... because like inevitably some stranger who doesn't know what the heck is going on is going to fuck shit up. Right. But then we wouldn't Especially have a Especially if you're like, here's this great place. We're not going to tell you anything about it. Yeah. Here's your family home that, uh, you know, you've been living in an orphanage for like a dozen years and this is like home, but Get out, get out, get out, get out. I'll leave. Yeah. So it was interesting. I will say one thing with Edgar, and this was never discussed in the book, so it can't be a spoiler. I do wonder if uh, Olivia's mother was also mute because they never explained why Edgar knows sign language. I think that if that were the case, Hannah would also know it. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, it was just something that popped in my head. I feel like she would have taken this st- I feel like Hannah as the person that she is I feel like she would have made the effort if Grace was 
But I mean, for Edgar to know it, like why they're because But Edgar Hannah was Hannah, around longer than Edgar, wasn't she? Or yes, but they're well, so I guess he could have known it from before he showed up. But they've obviously no, been together for yes, for ages years or yeah. whatever. Uh, so if it was somebody that was important to Edgar, I would think that Hannah would learn it. I don't know. It's uh, it was just something that popped in my head that you immediately no, in, so I will defend my position to the death. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I'll fight you. No, I'm just kidding. Nice. So uh, talking about her mother, the the idea of the uh, journal obviously played a huge role throughout the book for Olivia, as this was her only connection to her mother, Grace. What did you think about her having that? And then also in the book, we see it where kind of right in the middle there, they put in the whole journal. So you get to then experience it. So I want to know what you thought about the placement of it. You know, because we've, we've had other books where people talk about books or things that they have, but actually being able to see it and go through it. I was wondering uh, what your thoughts were about that. I really liked that. It was one thing to have the artwork sort of like strewn about through the book, which I I also really liked, which like still I don't fully understand how that was communication, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever, that's not the point. But I liked having the whole journal because like, the you know when Olivia is sort of reminiscing about how much of it she remembers and telling us pieces of it it was quite clear her mom was going mad for sure but just like being able to read the words and like see it on the page not just to see how it was written kind of yeah yeah I think that that was pretty impactful I mean I honestly like don't think a book like this would do well as an audiobook because I think so much of it needs to be visual, which is ironic or not because Olivia can't speak. So like having all of that thing, that transition of her mom be tangible and visual was, I thought it was really cool. I mean, I really like books that have that kind of like break from this is a narrative book. And it's not that it didn't progress the story. It's not that it wasn't helpful to, do you know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was like a, it was an interesting, tangible thing that I, I did really like. Yeah. It, for me, when it happened in the book without knowing it was coming, I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to read this chapter and then I'll put it down. And the end of that chapter was the beginning of the journal. So then I was flipping through the journal, just reading that. And then I just kept reading afterwards. Mm -hmm. It definitely just hooked me to keep going. Uh, And I found it interesting because Olivia has that aha moment where she kind of understands more of what this journal is, which we'll get into in spoilers. And then they have it right after that. So while you've been experiencing it through Olivia this whole time and the journal is there in the pages and you're rereading stuff that you've already read that Olivia has gone over, but you're seeing, okay, here's where this is. And then here's chronologically. Yes, exactly. And some of those things were like some of the stuff that was crossed out. Like I was wondering if there was like hidden messages in there and stuff like that. Like why else would it be that way? You know, like when I cross something out, I like really cross it out. Like maybe that's just, and I haven't written in a journal in like decades, but like, I don't leave a record. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, Nobody should know this. Nobody should know this. Right? Like I fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that was pretty interesting too, to have like the previous version of what yeah. I wanted to say also shown was a lot. 
I do wonder if there's the hidden meaning there because it was interesting because like you were saying, Olivia always took it as this is her mother divulging into madness. And I wonder if it's more her mother fighting that madness where like, I, I cause the, the journal ends with her writing a letter to Olivia basically, mm-hmm. because I think she leaves her at the school when she's like two years old or something like that. So she's like writing this letter, basically saying goodbye to her saying like, you can't be with me anymore. And everyone thinks right. it's because she's mad, but maybe it's because something else is really coming after and she's trying to protect her kind of situation. So I really appreciated the timing of that. Like I said, I feel like it was still a strong book. It wasn't like I was going to put it down and leave it for days, but it was just like, fuck that hook. It was like really, there's the hook right in the middle. Yeah. No. And I really enjoyed, especially like, cause you got the images that were from the journal just sort of randomly interspersed throughout the book. And then when you get to the journal portion, like you were saying, you can see it chronologically. So like the illustration and the entry and the illustration and the entry. And like when she's making these discoveries, you get to see it placed correctly, yeah. which I mean, I, again, I still don't fully understand, but it was still cool to see it in the way that it was meant to be seen or that it happened. Right. So another thing I wanted to talk about without giving spoilers away were what were your initial thoughts about what the danger could be in Galat? Like, what is this big nasty that nobody's talking about and kind of some of the hints that they dropped or some of just the interesting, weird things that were happening around Olivia that nobody was explaining? I mean, I definitely, the garden was sus for a variety of reasons. Go ahead. The idea of that, like, the silver weed thing, that they yeah. were pulling up and how they had to remove that. And like, even in his weekend state, how Matthew made that such a point, like, okay, I've got to, I've got to weed the roses and I've got to make sure that I seal the cracks in the wall. And like Olivia's looking at it and she's saying like, this is like a 12 foot rock wall that looks like I built because it's falling down everywhere. And there's a door in the middle. Like what's the point of the door? You can just walk around the side. Like what, what do you that do? I there? thought was super cool and very like, I could totally picture what Victoria saw that gave her this inspiration because like, it's very perstumpy <laughs> and the whole like, here's this hat. It's not even a full wall. It doesn't go from point A to point B to block something off. It's like, you can get around it, but there's still this door. It's just so, so magical. <laughs> and I totally, I mean, especially the care that like you're saying that he had given to the maintenance of the wall leads you to believe that there's something more than meets the eye with it. And obviously, cause like, it's not even a full complete wall. That's quite suspicious. And like, I would always assume there's something dangerous. I mean, no one, you know, I mean, just, it's not going to be fucking unicorns and fairies on the other side because like why isn't the door flung open you know what i mean like, it's gotta be something evil yeah um, unicorns and fairies the door would be wide open because you want to play oh, with heck it, so. yes yeah but like and and just the unnatural seeming quality to the those weeds in the garden i mean probably olivia doesn't have a whole lot of experience with gardening growing up in an orphanage but that said like she seemed like an adventurous girl and would be like out in the yard of the orphanage and stuff. And so I feel like she's probably seen quite enough or read about normal plants. Those are not normal plants. And I just, all of it is suspicious. I guess I would just always assume if it were me in that position, I would assume it was bad. 
and assume that they were like protecting something from the bad thing. And she talks about how like the next day or two days later, Matthew is uh, drugged so he can sleep. And she goes back in the garden and like, it looks like he did no work at all. And that's where it's like, okay, like what is- That's not normal. What is going on here? Because especially when you're working with the back of the book where it says everything casts the shadow, even the world we live in. Like I kept looking at that like, okay, like obviously, so is it like shadow world behind the gate? Like what, what is really this big mystery? Because then the other side of it too, when she gets there and they're like, the, the house is sealed up, right? Cause darkness is coming. And she like, they're like, okay, you got to get inside. And Matthew's like, send her away. And they're like, you can't, it's too dark. She can't go outside now. I'm like, is this like a big bad wolf situation? Like does, does something Are there vampires? Yeah. Like does something come out in the darkness to play? Like, it was something where I'm like, what are they trying to keep out that can only come out of dark? Like, does that door, because I knew about the door just having read about that, this book. Yeah. So I was like, does the door open at night? And like, whatever, yeah. it come out and they're trying to protect themselves from that. So there was a lot of that mystery too, where like, if you're in this huge ass mansion where they're like locking every door and shuttering every window every night, wouldn't you be like, yeah, excuse me? Like, Could you well, explain please? Yeah, what's <laughs> happening here? So I, I found that kind of aggravating as well as I'm just putting myself in Olivia's shoes and just thinking like, obviously this is not normal. What if Olivia sleepwalks and they don't know this? And she, you know what I'm saying? Like you, if you're going to let somebody stay in this place where you have to maintain a certain level of locked upness, you got to tell somebody, maybe not the whole reason, but just be like, listen, there's some shit going down that we got to like, just don't do this yeah. list of things. Yeah. Right. We'll explain later. You know what I mean? I don't, I would be upset. Yeah. And I would have been very suspicious if I were her. A lot of head scratching. And like, there's, this is a generational home. So they've dealt with children before. And again, she's like a teenager. Like, I feel she's like not a five-year-old ex- who's going to be like oppositional defiance style. <laughs> you could explain some things to her. The last thing I wanted to touch on that I found was interesting in this book was the idea of the ghouls because we've seen it in other books too but it's usually only the main character that can see them or a select few um, thinking back to like ninth house and here the ghoul everyone could see the ghouls is my understanding oh that was not my understanding so I was thinking just because maybe I'm wrong then but I was thinking like they they would scare some of the girls at the orphanage or am I wrong about that? Maybe just Olivia could see them. I think Olivia could see them. And like, she was, the, the girls were scared in the orphanage because Olivia like did things to scare them, like put bugs and shit all over them, which like power to you, girl, you got to get yours. Those mean girls, they're mean. Yeah. No, I was under the impression that only she could see them. Okay. I mean, that would make more sense. I was just- Even at, even at Gallon, I thought she was the only person that could see- like, because I imagine Matthew would be even more fucked up if he could see his dad walking around. That's true. That, that, that <laughs> makes sense. I, I, I was trying, I, I was thinking of it both ways. I'm like, man, I, I really thought like some of the ghouls were present to the girls at the orphanage, but maybe, maybe it was just Olivia seeing that. Yeah, I didn't read it that way. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but and I, I think that like it made it more logical that only she could see them because she was the one that like can't scream and can't like you know what I'm saying? Like she's, she's the type of person that like wouldn't cause a ruckus like the other girls would inevitably do if 
Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it, it makes sense a little bit with her background too, that maybe she would have that ability. So maybe I just missed that one, but I did find it interesting that like with the ghouls there, the, the reason she realizes her mother is dead, slight spoiler, but it's kind of given away the whole time is her ghoul visits her when she's at Kalan. And that's how she like knows. And she's, she knows her mother didn't die here, but like for some reason her, her ghost back was brought here. back here. And I just thought the imagery was interesting where she didn't see all of them. She would just see yeah. parts and pieces, like not the whole picture, which sometimes I would vision very gruesomely. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think she described a few in pretty gruesome detail, um, which is one of the reasons why I was thinking it was not a young adult, but who knows? I think that it was really neat. Like I pictured her, well, and this was something she says. I think that this is really cool that the ghouls sort of like responded to her direct eye contact. Like if she kind of just didn't really look them full on in the face, they could hang out for whenever, you know, they can't interact with her really. But like how, if she stared one down, they poof go away. And I was just thinking like you mentioned the whole ninth house situation, like how freaking sweet would it have been if Alex could have just been like, I see you. Hey, she just had to recite some death poetry, you know? I mean, yeah, that is just a step. But like, Olivia wouldn't be able to do that. What are you going to sign some death poetry at them? Like, true. That is true. So our last question before we get to spoilers and we can discuss the book in full, since it seems like we've been tiptoeing around it a little bit here, (laughs) our Get to Know Your Podcasters moment. Olivia's prized possession is her mother's journal. It's basically the only thing that she has to remember by. It is worn and faded by how many times she has gone over it or rubbed the cover. She doesn't even know her mother's name. She knows it begins with a G. First letter. And she believes it's all these different things until she finally learns that it's Grace. And then, like you were saying, some, some mean girls tear out some of the pages and she gets back at them by covering them with all different kinds of spiders and bugs, bugs and all different stuff from the basement. So... Is there anything you were given as a child or young adult that you hold that kind of sacred level to? And I'm not saying it's something you carry around with you all the time, but it's something that you've kept that just means a lot to you. Yeah. So I have, I have a stuffed animal. It's a dog. It's named puppy very originally, but it's a stuffed animal that I was given by a family friend when I was like one before we moved to Vermont and I've had it ever since. And it's like, I mean, I, I'm an adult that sleeps with stuffed animals. It's fine. I will fully admit I have no shame, but, uh, I, it's definitely not like blanket level, you know, like kid that would like bring a blanket everywhere, but like summer camps, sleep away, sleep away camps, like going on trips. I would take puppy with me like everywhere. And Chelsea, my friend Chelsea, had a version of that dog, a stuffed puppy. Its name was something different. Scruffy, I think, is what she named hers. <laughs> and sadly, he was lost, in a, I think, on a trip somewhere. Somebody, you know, when they used to, like, check your luggage, somebody freaking stole Scruffy, which is, like, a total dick move. Because, like, obviously that belongs to a child, and it's probably very important. He's very well-loved. He, like, has very like matted fur because of all of the love. I don't don't know that I've ever washed him. I don't know that he can be washed in any case. That makes me feel really dirty. Um, (laughs) He's a clean, he's a clean puppy, but uh, he's great. And I would show you, but um, my husband's currently napping in the bed and I'm not going to disturb him. (laughs) 
not going to disturb him for puppy. No, uh, later I'll post it on Instagram. I'll post puppy. Nice. I have two. What is basically the same thing you were talking about, and I do have him to show you. So <gasps> my first stuffed animal was Tigger. Uh, his name is Tigger. He is yes. a Tigger stuffed animal. Uh, this was given to me in the hospital. That was like, as I was born, uh, I don't know, some family member gave me Tigger. So he has been with me ever since. I thought I lost him once when we moved when I was in middle school, uh, sorry, uh, elementary school. So somebody bought me another Tigger. And then I found the original. So now I have two Tiggers, but like that other one, I'm like, I don't give a shit about that. Like, pff, whatever. Sorry, other Tigger. You're, you're, you're not, you're not needed the original. Anymore. Yeah. You're not needed anymore. So, uh, same thing though. Like he just, he, he has a spot in my clothes in my closet and it's like, there he is. Like, I don't sleep with stuffed animals anymore or anything like that, but it was something that I, you know, had my tonsils and adenoids taken out when I was a kid and like Tigger was with me through the whole procedure. Um, the first time I broke my ankle, Tigger came to me with, with me to the hospital when I was in kindergarten or whatever it was. So, uh, we've definitely been through a lot and that's just, I, I like, I think every kid has that. My brother's was a koala. His is super gross though. Cause he used to eat the fur. So he's got like spots where my brother like chewed the fur off of it it's okay he'll never listen so there you have that I should mention too the puppy came all the way to Australia with me nice that's impressive for my study abroad yeah world traveler yeah yeah my other one I brought this out when I was drunk at a party once so (gasps) people may remember this but it is my grandfather's pocket watch uh, which was given to me when I was probably like 10 or 11 by my grandmother on that side. And I was really into like antiques and pocket watches at the time as one would as every young child. As, yeah. Um, so she gave me that as a Christmas present one year so I could have it. And it's super cool. His initials are engraved in the cover on the back. Uh, so, you know, someday I thought about putting my initials and then if I handed it down to somebody else, they could put their initials and we would just have a list of that's so cute. As it went through the does family. it still work? Is it? It, does, it does. I don't. I don't actually run it or wind it or anything like yeah. that. Keep it on me. But uh, yeah. So, and his name was it's actually my great grandfather. His name was also Russell. So hey, pretty cool. So I also thought he's, cool. he's REM. I could be RMM, and then I could <gasps> give it to some other Russell, and then he maybe another like Russell RAM or something. I don't know. Ram. Uh, Ram. It's your turn to have the watch. <laughs> Um, so yeah, one time I was really drunk here, uh, for a party and I was like, and I think Nern took the brunt of it as I was just crying. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Yeah. So many great memories. Um, also up here, I have like one of those storage things, uh, like plastic storage container bins, like leveled one. And two of them are just filled with like pictures, tickets, like movie theater stubs, uh, zoo booklets, maps, just all this different stuff that I've gone to. Amanda calls it my junk pile, or like my trash pile. I call it my memories. Uh, <laughs> it's it's so funny. And like, oh, hotel cards. Like I keep- Oh, those. like key cards? Yeah. Just like so this one was, I don't know. Oh my God. Dude, I was going to say, you remember? The only ones that I keep are the Dragon Con ones from Host yeah. Hotels that I've done. Yeah, no, I'm super into keeping drunk and, and everything else, but I wouldn't say it's as sacred as my mother's journal, uh, but I don't have that. So this is what I have. Sorry to let you down, Olivia. 
<laughs> I don't know. Like if I had, I mean, I guess in Olivia's case too, that's like the only connection she has to her family up until she gets to Gallant. So obviously it means a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I think it would drive me crazy to not know anything. Yeah, no, I, that's, uh, yeah, to grow up like that too, to have all those yeah. questions. And I think that was also one of the upsetting things too, was she had so many questions about where she was from and these people didn't even want to answer that. They just wanted her to get out. No. So. It was definitely a little bit uh, annoying uh, to see what she had to go through as yeah. it progressed. So with that, we are going to move into spoilers. So here is your song. This is the part where we're going into spoilers. Time to learn what the story's all about. Because this is the part where we're going into spoilers. So if you don't know the book, get out. Spoilers. Olivia finds a second journal belonging to her mother in her old room in Galant. When she compares the two, she realizes that in the one she has had her whole life, the writing is her mother's, but the drawings are by her father. She recognizes the marks on the cover as being caused by bolts in the door in the garden and realizes that her mother and father slipped this journal back and forth between the two realms. She goes to investigate and the journal falls through to the other side of the door. When the door won't budge, she goes around the wall to the other side. At first, nothing happens, but quickly she finds herself looking at a mirror version or shadow of the gallant she has, come, she has just come from. Only here, it is void of color, appears to be falling down, and is filled with a lot more darkness. When the door still doesn't open from this side and the wall continuously expands so she cannot go around, Olivia decides to go into this version of Gallant to find a new way to escape. Inside the house, she lays eyes upon what her mother referred to as death, a ghostly dark shape with all-seeing milk-colored eyes that is surrounded by his three shadows. Olivia is spotted and makes her escape with the help of some ghouls that she recognizes as her ancestors, but not before she comes across a boy who appears to be sleeping in the fountain on this side of the wall. She eventually escapes back into her realm and the real gallant when her cousin Matthew opens the door from the other side using his blood to break and then reseal it. Eventually, Olivia is able to tell Matthew what she saw on the other side, and when he shows her a family portrait, she confirms that the boy she saw is Matthew's brother, Thomas, who was taken over two years ago. He finally tells Olivia what's going on. Mm -hmm. The family has been tasked for generations to guard the door and keep it locked to the demon on the other side. It escaped once, and though it did not make it off the property, everything it touched withered and died instantly. It took over a dozen of their ancestors to force it back through the door, with more than half going through the door with it to their deaths. But the demon has other ways of getting to you as it attacks your dreams, can take control of you if you are overtired and beaten down, or even charm you to the other realm as it did with Thomas. At this point, it is only Matthew and Olivia left in the prior line, and the battle has drained Matthew to the point where he almost never sleeps and can barely get through his days. Olivia decides to go back and try and rescue Thomas, with Matthew waiting on this side to open the door for them. She makes her way over there and eventually is trapped by death in his shadows. Here he tells her the story of her parents, how he once had four shadows, but his oldest and most favorite had fallen in love with Olivia's mother and run away with her. He begged Olivia's mother to bring him back, knowing that the shadow couldn't survive in the other realm without him, but she did not, and eventually he died. Death was enraged by this and took it out on Olivia's mother, attacking her relentlessly until she died too. He tries to convince Olivia to stay with him and help him conquer both realms. Olivia rebukes him again and gets away using secret passages she has learned from her Galan. 
She finds Thomas in the basement and they make their escape back to the door. But when Matthew opens it, he can see what she could not. This is not his brother, but another creature of death. A fight ensues between the two priors and death with his shadows. Death makes it into the mortal realm as Olivia and Matthew are distracted by his soldiers. But eventually, Olivia calls upon the ghouls of her ancestors in Gallant to help, and together they once again push death back into his shadow realm and seal the door, but not before Matthew is struck and dies. The story ends with Olivia now taking care of Gallant and guarding the door for her family. So what did you make of the mysteries of Gallant as they were revealed to us? Did you agree with Matthew keeping Olivia in the dark for her protection or should he have been honest from the beginning? Oh, he should have been honest. That was pretty, just overall very frustrating. Like, I get it. Like you were saying, this is a very good point that he was like pretty at the end of his rope, pretty worn out, pretty stressed. But like this person who is also a prior can help you carry the burden or at least... Like, there's no reason for him to want to protect her. And at first I was like, wow, he's being really selfish to be like, oh, I know that's what, but that doesn't make much sense. Why you'd want to keep all that for yourself. And yeah, I just think overall, maybe she couldn't have helped immediately because she didn't fully grasp it, but at least giving her some knowledge <laughs> about the scenario would have been extremely beneficial. I mean, at the very least, she wouldn't have like accidentally gone over there if you told her more about what was really going on um and that kind of starts the snowball rolling so yeah. to speak well i think it was interesting because to me what i took for matthew's anger at her was i think part of him thought that if the prior line ended death would be locked on that Back side of the wall. yeah like it wasn't like if we're okay. all gone he can still come over i think the way I read it, he kind of thought that if, if he's gone, if the prior line is done and they have nobody else that they can come after, they'll just die. Because he even says like death is dying on that side of the wall. And you see it with how Gallant in the shadow realm or whatever you want to call that is falling apart. Yeah. And is crumbling around them. So I think that was where his anger came from, where he has sacrificed so much. He, He lost his brother, Thomas lost his father recently in the last year. And, and just thinks that I've given up so much and now you come out of nowhere. This person I never ruined my plan. And yeah, now I'm going to die and it's still going to be there. And this is all going to be for nothing. So that's kind of how I took it. That's a good point. But that doesn't mean he shouldn't. I mean, she's here, like it or not. And he even said, like, I thought if I got you away quick enough, they wouldn't know who you were or what you were. And it's like, dude, like that ship has sailed, man. That ship has sailed. Not only that, but like there's a fundamental flaw and obviously like he doesn't necessarily know all this and neither does she till later. But like if she's half demon shadow, they're going to know about her. It doesn't matter if she's that gallant or not. Like that's neither here nor there. So like just give her the deets. Yeah. And that was uh, from her side of things. That was the tough thing to realize as Mm. her father dies the the shadow of death dies because he can't survive in that realm and her mother even says in this journal when he dies all that's left of him is a tooth and that is some imagery where death gives up pieces of him to create his shadow soldiers or to create his shades basically uh which aren't as strong and are kind of there just for his entertainment and that tooth never came back because um her mother realizes that that's the part of death and so she grinds it down and and throws it in there burns it or whatever but 
Olivia learns from death that he was still able to come after his mother because of her. Like the tooth was gone, but now his anchor to grace was Olivia. Olivia. Because yes, you were half your father's, but your father was all me. So you are half mine. I have some logistical questions. <laughs> I don't think about I how, Yeah, I know you can. And I don't think that that was like paramount in the Schwab's like conceptual planning for this. But like, I, I got questions. I mean, the shadows could do damage, right? So they could physically sure. do and do all that. So I don't know. And they all had a, an appearance about them. She describes how yeah, they all have a unique look. And they have their own unique sperm. <laughs> That's really the question I have. Well, it was interesting because he talks about how they all came from him, right? But the problem that, and the thing he learned from oh, her the, father was that- How as old it was. The older they are, the more independent they become and the more they think for themselves or whatever, God forbid that. And I, and I think- <laughs> I think it's all still death, unfortunately. The the shadow just got his own mind. Yeah, which like, I... Do we think that that's why she can see ghouls in the first place? So I was wondering about that again, but I, I thought in the notebook, her mother in her letter said something about that. Oh, like, so maybe it came from her mom's side, not so much the fact that she's a shadow, part, no. part death. Yeah, so it says, uh, remember this, the shadows are not real. The dreams can never hurt you. But the shadows, she would probably mean the shadow, like the the shadows, not necessarily. So yeah, that that would make sense with, like I said earlier, her lineage. It would make sense that she could see ghouls when others couldn't because she has that connection to death, literally. Well, and like when she's in the upside down gallon and he can control the ghouls they're like yes they come to help her but like they're only so powerful because he is the he's the dude yeah he's the master of that domain so like they they can help they help her against the shadows but when he is there again he's like i control that but basically waves his hand and they wither and they disappear but then flip side of that is when they get back to regular gallant and he's like out in the garden and she's like oh bitch please like this is my space that was very satisfying to me that they were I mean and it's basically like using his own power against him and I thought that was really great (laughs) yeah I I really appreciated that it was something that made sense and something that had happened before but now it's like no 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 like this is my area expertise yeah and that's when he was sort of like what the shit yeah (laughs) <laughs> that's also kind of why he wanted to join her to join him because he mm-hmm. talks about that and we see it in the shadow realm she is able to breathe life back into things and mm-hmm. so she does it with plant life and like she the teeth and the beaks of animals that he has killed she can hold that and and make a living mouse or bird come Dang. back yeah um, i really would have found that interesting if she did that to a ghoul i wanted to see that play out but I think the one that helps her escape the first time is like signs to her, like, no, 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 like, not. Yes. Yeah. But as a reader, I wanted to know what that Oh, was, totally. What same, same. Happen. Although, but like, I, if some, if a ghoul is like missing half a face, like, well, but she created a mouse from a tooth. That's so true. Out of like, ah, good, yeah. point. good point. Good point. Uh, but I did think that was interesting. 
But I really wanted to explore that more too, because we saw that it was costing her as she used it more and more, like she had those shadow gloves kind of cover her hands uh, and up her wrists. Like, and then we didn't really get to know any more of what came of that. Uh, when she came back over to this side, those disappeared. Like it wasn't a lasting thing. And she talked about how the cold ran up her hands. And like, it was like she was giving her life to those things, but yeah, it didn't really get fully into that. So I was wondering if she used more and more of it, what would happen? Um, yeah. And then also the duology of it within the real world, where after she brings that rose back, before she goes back to get Thomas, she notices the one rose that has the silver weed uh, yeah. all the way up and kind of choking it and turning it into the, the lifeless color of the other Gallant. So. Yeah, there were a lot of really cool like imagery type things that were happening. And I mean, it's just because like, she's really stellar at all of that. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot to be said for the inner, no, what is it? Like, it's not so much foreshadowing as like, I guess imagery is the thing. There's a word I'm looking for that I can't think of. What you mean like the mirror between the two realms or like just the, the imagery in general? Just the imagery in general. Like like you're saying, just the whole like this, the visual of the choking vine weed thing versus like what she's able to produce in the other gallant and how that, I mean, I guess it is sort of a mirror, but like the visualization of or representation of what's happening. Yeah, like the, the, the consequence, like something yes. that over there does carry over here as well. Yes, well, uh, and they similarly, like when they're figuring out their plan to like go and rescue the brother, how they're like learning about their gallant so that they can learn about the other gallant. Like, I think that is really, yeah, really so cool concept. Learning all the secret passages and stuff like that, like realizing you are going to a mirror world. Yes. Uh, and, and yeah, like stacking the deck to like, to understand that there's what the more, you know, the more you prepare, the better off you are. Uh, and I did think that was an interesting thing, but it also seemed like they knew about it too, as they kind of, as she goes on the rescue mission, she uses some we of the expecting. secret passages and like, maybe they knew she was going to use them, maybe not, but like, obviously where it led her to, it leads her into the first of many traps uh, that right. she knew was going to happen, but uh, still, you know, I think there is, yeah, I think she even said there's like a difference between uh, walking into a trap, knowing and not knowing. And so she yeah. was at least knowingly walking into a trap. Yeah. I did also like the representation of the, like, I pictured it like an, an orrery, but it was like the, the two houses. I pictured like one of those. I really wanted that to mean something, that metal structure. Me too. So it's like, it's, it's on the cover of the book, basically. It's like a globe with the two houses inside and tinier globes that you can spin and they spin separately as well. So it's like that mirrored look to them. Um, and I was really wondering, like I was expecting when she first finds it and plays with it, I was expecting Matthew or Hannah or somebody to be like, don't touch that. Like, you have no idea what you just Me did. Too. Me yeah. too. So it's kind of bummed but I thought, that I didn't have. And like, what's the point of it otherwise? Like, is it just like a toy that one of the priors made because they have a sixth sense of humor? <laughs> or like, what well, I just. Maybe a way to explain the other side of the wall. I don't know. 
they, they talk about that too, where originally there was no door in the wall and it was one of the generations of priors who put that in because oh. the wall was crumbling uh, right. and pulled up. So they put the iron door in to secure the, the opening basically, and then bound it with their blood to, to seal the demon in. So maybe it was, they had gotten a glimpse of it and like, even though her and her mother both went into the shadow realm you're not supposed to so maybe they use that uh device to kind of be like this is what's there you you curious kids (laughs) i don't know know, but seeing that i just did it well it's another this house like doesn't look so bad right yeah no it looks a little bit redder in the windows but seems okay yeah The one interesting thing that uh, is total douche move by death, where he uses his shades to reenact her mother's oh. love story in front of her to the point where they both die. And then he brings them back and has them do it again uh, over totally. and over to her. Uh, what did you think of their love story and kind of the understanding that comes across as this shadow and real girl I guess you could say uh kind of fell in love and and what they tried to do what do you think of that part of the story um I mean that was like a really rough part to like make Olivia watch all that especially because she has like that's essentially the first time she's like seeing I mean she's seen her mom's ghoul and she's seen portraits and stuff but like her dad no idea what he was like and just I mean great but also terrible and also again the logistical questions I have are many. <laughs> it actually kind of gave me some sort of uh, Strange the Dreamer vibes in terms of like star-crossed lover type yes. scenarios. I mean, it was just painful, I think, to make her sit through that repeatedly. I mean, obviously that guy's a dick and like that's kind of his MO. <laughs> I, I found it interesting mainly because we learn that his death meant something to death. Mm. Like it wasn't just Olivia's mother who Mm -hmm. lost him. It was also death. Like he talks about how he was his favorite and he was his longest, basically, I guess the only thing he can consider as a companion, you know, even though he was a piece of himself because he had been with him for so so long. long. And it's interesting when you just read read it, you don't see all the uh, motions, but like I, I pictured death pleading in dreams for this woman to bring back his friend you know kind of situation and she thinks she's being attacked or she thinks who knows what grace is thinking it's like a miscommunication issue more than anything yeah and and she probably thinks he was a prisoner over there and that he communicates with pictures like it's never mentioned that he can speak i was wondering that so like it's (sighs) another you think that's where olivia gets it from yeah, that would make sense. I thought about that before and then completely forgot about it until just um, until you just said it. I never thought about it. So but like it, that would make sense. Um, and it's interesting, too, because like Matthew can't read, but her father could read hmm. enough, even though he's a shadow creature. And again, you know, I mean, who knows what they do for quote unquote fun on the dark side of Gallant. So maybe all they had was reading books. I don't know. Or maybe mm-hmm. he just thought that from death. You know, that was part of what he inherited when he was made from him. I don't know. Right. But it was just, it was an interesting visual that didn't really happen in the book, but happened in my head where I was just thinking about this, this creature of fear and, and anger and death and all this is, is turned into this, like any of us, uh, pleading kind of missing a friend. Yeah. Person who's just begging for you to, to bring their friend back, you know, and it's, nobody understands anything that's going on. I wonder if her dad did, 
You know, like, did he know he was dissolving because of that? Did he think he was under attack and like, couldn't go back or it's so it's, it's a lot. Yeah. There's so much there. I do want to say like, I appreciated the, the little tiny detail of like death, basically like tonguing his missing, missing tooth. I thought that was really cool. And like really sort of feeling the loss obviously like feeling lost like that was my favorite dude and he's gone and whatever but also like physically just like not having that tooth I thought that was just really interesting because it's one of those things like if you have a loose tooth or whatever you like are constantly paying attention to it it's not something that you can ignore yeah and Grace even mentions in the journal like I hope forever he feels that gap Mm -hmm. and and feels the pain of not having it or whatever so Maybe she did know what she was doing. I don't know. I, I feel like she wouldn't have sacrificed I feel like she, her love, but I don't know. Yeah, I feel like she did know, but at the same time, she didn't like maybe realize quite how tenuous her baby daddy's situation was. <laughs> Husband, not they didn't get married or anything, but like I feel as though there was definitely something lost in translation. Yeah. Um, in terms of like if we go away together, like. Uh, probably Mr. Shadowman didn't know what would happen probably because no one's gone away like how would you how would you know you're the first experiment in that scenario so don't fault him for wanting to try it but like I don't know he doesn't seem dumb you know what I mean like to know that and and maybe maybe it was some form of maybe not torture but just like if you have already grown outgrown your programming so to speak and you don't like being in the company of an evil demon man, perhaps dying with your love is better than going back to that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah not, a, not a position I've been in before, that's for sure. No, me either. <laughs> Can't say that I have. Um, so moving on to the ending, this is a consecutive book where not all our main characters make it and live happily ever after. Uh, what did you think of the final battle between the Priors and Death and his minions as we wrap that up and also the death of Matthew? I will say like the the rescue mission not going to plan was pretty rough. And I just like really felt for Matthew in that moment where he realized that his brother was not his brother. And like kudos to him for not being like blinded by the hope that it was and kind of recognizing the situation for what it actually was so it was almost like more rough to have him die at that moment because you're like oh he's he's good people now or not the now but you know what I mean like he's coming to the point where you could really I don't know res- respect appreciate whatever understand where he's yeah been, why he's been yeah exactly um and so to have him die like in that moment was rough I mean, I think we talked before about how great it was that Olivia was like, these are my ghouls now, bitch. Yeah. And so that was pretty great. And just like Hannah and Edgar coming in like armed to the teeth. So cool. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I think that it was important that not everybody make it through. I think that the way that his brother died was like pretty horrific and like terrible. Um, And I feel really bad for him to have gone through that and pretty like sick of the demon death man to be like here's your fake brother yeah he talks he talks about how so thomas basically gets pied piper away 
uh, mm -hmm. in his sleep, which I think is the reason why they locked the house up so much. Like, yeah. That was kind of what is revealed. It's not to keep something out, it's to keep them keep in. People in. And we see also with Matthew, as he is getting brought more and more into the dreams, that they restrain him uh, in his bed to keep him there with like straps and all that. And assuming and, that was uh, something that happened after Thomas left as well. And to that point, like one of the first, I think it's the first night that Olivia kind of like goes exploring and she goes to like the garden door and Matthew's father's ghoul comes like rushing at her. I'm assuming in an effort to be like, no, you cannot go outside. Yeah. Because maybe he doesn't recognize that she's not under the influence of. Yeah. And so it's like, even the ghouls are actively trying to keep people inside. Yeah. And the, the one in that's sitting in the, the grave uh, off the orchard there, who is just like shaking his head at her when she's like wandering around the wall. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't do that if I was you. Don't do that. But for Matthew there, so Thomas gets Pied Pipered away. And like, I think if I remember correctly, they had opened the door and then they saw that death had basically covered the door of his galant with Matthew's, uh, with Thomas's blood. And that's why he believed for the last two years that he was dead. And then you have that. And thank God it was only 24 hours, but you have that, uh, Olivia comes back and tells him about this boy that she saw and she had seen enough of the shadows and the ghouls or, and all that other stuff that she knew that he wasn't like them. So she assumes that he is just this boy and it looks like he's sleeping and he's bound uh, with vines when she finds him. So coming back and explaining that to Matthew and then seeing the family portrait that he keeps hidden in his room because he doesn't want it in the house. I assume he doesn't want the reminder of Thomas. So he has it covered in his room. And that's kind of like, was this the boy? And she's like, yeah, they're like, oh my God, maybe he's alive. And again, while they know it's a trap a hundred different ways, they think that maybe death is getting desperate again because he is dying. So he was using him, using Thomas as a pawn in order to get them to come into the trap, in order to get them to open the door, because obviously they wouldn't have otherwise. I do wonder, going back to his father, because his father ends up, committing suicide in, in the garden. And I, I wonder if that is part of, because of maybe death was playing with him in his dreams or something like that with Thomas trying to get him to, to come over and all that. So it's, there's so much more to this that I feel like was kind of glossed over a little bit that we could have seen a lot more of the family struggles specifically to understand kind of what they were going through and how much of a toll it took on them to, to be protecting Galant. I will say Another point I wanted to make about Matthew was, I think his response to the letter and how upset he was about it. And he throws it in the fire right away. And she's upset because that was her link to her family. But that letter, I think he realizes is in his handwriting. So the letter from her father, from his father, quote unquote, who's been dead for a year that brings Olivia here. Death actually says, oh, well, we can thank Hannah for that because she had written down all the possible places that she could have been, where Olivia could have been. And Matthew, in his weakened state, death basically takes control of him, brings him down to the study and goes through that book and starts writing out all those letters that are then mailed uh, around the country trying to locate Olivia, which again is upsetting because then why did Matthew think that death couldn't find her? You know, like you had to know, you don't remember writing this letter. This letter exists. Obviously she must've, death must've known about her for him to be able to reach out to her through you. How did you think that not telling her anything would keep him in the dark? I don't know. 
That's like a mega good point. One thing though, and I get it, like it would be a sleep writing scenario, but like, how would he know his own handwriting if he can't, I'm assuming if he can't read, he also can't write. So how would he know? Jay, I don't know. That's, that's a good point. Maybe he doesn't write things down. I mean, I mean, I was thinking like, oh, that is like freaking brilliant, Russell. Like, of course it would be him like being controlled because that's, he said something that happens and like totally I think that that's valid but then like how would he even know his own handwriting and maybe he didn't maybe he didn't realize it was his own handwriting but maybe he was like sus because I know my dad is dead but I'm also the only person that could have written this so like yeah even still I think it's I think it's a valid point but like if he can't read I imagine he can't write and wouldn't know what his handwriting is maybe he draws but how would you you wouldn't know what your letters look like but that that's interesting too because then why so if death could make Matthew write even though he doesn't know how to write why couldn't his shadow write like why didn't he get that part I don't know that's again uh, a few questions here a few questions yeah yeah <laughs> not yeah. just about the logistics of one certain aspect but a whole bunch no the procreation aspect of shadow human progeny I will say one thing for me with the ending to get back to that was yeah. it did feel a little rushed. To yes. Me. Like it felt like we built up to this grand entrance of death into the real world. And, and then it was like, poof, done. Yeah. And he like dons this regal look and like, he doesn't, he actually looks handsome. He doesn't look like that ghostly, disgusting creature that he was on that side of Gallant. He, he looks more regal on this side and like talks about how he's just leisurely strolling through the rose garden, like killing things and all this. And then it's like, oh, they battle with the shadows. They kill them. Matthew takes the sword protecting Olivia. She then kills that shadow. Shadows are done. And then it's like, Edgar and Hannah are there. Olivia runs in front of him and was like, we're going to stop you. And he's like, no, you're not. She's like, the ghouls. <laughs> so I did feel like it was a little bit unsatisfying like it made well, and sense that- and it was like cool that she used the ghouls against him when she couldn't in the other room but it was also just like it's kind seemed- of anticlimactic yeah and a little too easy it was like yeah this, and we did yeah it. well and like yes i mean i have nothing else to add other than yes yeah no i think that that's that's a fair assessment i mean i it was there were some cool parts but it definitely did feel like it was too easy yeah and that's kind of like without getting too critical about the book because I do I really like her writing mm-hmm. I did feel like there was a few times I was reading this and I was like this just seems like a story yeah and kind of those questions we were just talking about like the deeper level stuff like I feel like there's a lot more things we could have gone into no. and explored yeah. Uh, yeah. that maybe would have filled a, a bigger picture for us and like it did leave me a little bit wanting as I got to the end of the book. I was like, okay, that was, that was a nice story. Mm-hmm. But it, it didn't come across to me like Daddy LaRue or like the no. Shades of Magic, things like that, which is another reason why I thought it was maybe geared more towards younger uh, okay, readers. Sure. It did feel more like a short story to me. Mostly. A short story that was 300 pages. Well, so but, I, yeah, I know you it too, but like there's lots of pages that you could not skip, but like this is a page. Right. You know what I mean? Like there was, there was stuff in there, which like I, I love illustration in books like this. I think that that's phenomenal. And I also really liked the, this is like totally not on topic, but like before the parts, the bits that were like 
about the death demon dude. Thought that was really cool. But I agree that it felt more like a story than a, a novel. Uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, fe- I felt the same way. And like, honestly, when I was trying to come up with questions for us to cover, I was like trying to think of what we could really get into. Cause even you think about Hannah and Edgar, like they're a yeah. necessary part of the story. Uh, yeah. They're the caretakers. They make sure they've kept Matthew going all this time. And they are like, Edgar's the bridge between Olivia and the rest of them. But like, sure. you know, I was listening to uh, the house in the Cerulean Sea podcast just randomly the other day. And we talk yeah. about how much effort uh, Clune put into the six excuse me, the six kids, and then also Arthur, and then also Linus, and then also Mrs. Chapelway and all that. And like, he took all that time to build up those nine characters. And I felt like here we had Olivia who was super strong and super interesting. And again, the fact that she was uh, mute was incredibly powerful to her character and something that I would never think of. And exploring mm-hmm. that was a big part of this too, where mm-hmm. it talks about her struggles and how she not just with communicating with people, but what she goes through. And I was like, that's super great. But then you get to Hannah and Edgar and you get to Matthew and it kind of even felt like, okay, they're here and they're necessary to the story, but there's so much more we could have learned about them. And in a way I feel that way about death too. Like the fact that he was so heartbroken about his shadow dying, I thought was great and huge and like gave us a little bit more into him, but that was it for him. So this book, a hundred thousand percent made me want a prequel. Like I wanted to know about the like grace and the shadows courtship for lack of a better term and like death and how the previous priors got him, got the situation to where it's at now. And like, that is sort of what this felt like. It, it almost felt more like a sequel to something that doesn't exist than it does to like a, a beginning of a story. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it, it does. It feels like a part of it. Yeah. Like, I think that's what you're saying. Like, it feels like a part or a part of a bigger whole. And yes. like, there's, there's so much more that could have been explored and dot, dove into, which I think we see in her other writing, which is kind of why I felt a little mm-hmm. bit lacking on this mm-hmm. one. And again, maybe like it was on the new shelf. So I don't know where it would be logged in my bookstore. So maybe it is a young reader's book, which is yeah. totally fine that just means we're not the audience for it and maybe you know it's a little bit easier because of that I just felt like I just I just wanted more I guess yeah is, is no I agree and like I like you're saying I kind of want to know more about the before times like it doesn't leave me wanting a sequel obviously it leaves me wanting to know how we got to this point yeah more of the lore of it yeah exactly like the the backstory I don't know. I just think that to have come up with this story and sort of like the nuances of these characters just from looking at a door in a garden, obviously like crazy impressive, but also like it could lend itself to a lot more depth, I guess. Yeah. Which like maybe that's, I mean, that's a lot of work. (laughs) I mean, even this was probably a lot of work, but you know what I'm saying? Like to go into something so in depth, like if, if you, if you start with something and this idea and then you're like, well, I need to go back and then I need to go back and then I need to go back. Like 
overwhelming. I, I feel that way when I'm writing spoilers sometimes. I'm like, do I need to go into this? Fight? <laughs> like, how much detail am I going into, you know? So I, mm-hmm. I get that for sure. You can definitely be trapped in like, okay, let me go over every single point. It's like, oh, it's too much. But it was right. just interesting. And I, it, it's, I, we keep saying the same thing, but it was just interesting because this is an author that we so respect. And like, I've read some of her other younger stuff and have liked it but those have all been mm-hmm. at least duologies so maybe that's part right. of it maybe this right. go as in depth because it's just a single entity so who knows um which i will say like i i think i just i don't think i enjoyed it as much as Addie larue because it didn't feel like not that it didn't feel in depth enough but like Addie larue hit, hit home on like it was just so beautiful on so many levels. And this had some really cool, deep things to it, but it certainly left me with lots of like questions more than it did with like satisfaction. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. That makes it sound harsh. No, but it's interesting with doing the show, uh, the, the different things that we call back to, where it's like, oh, this reminds yeah. me of that in Ali or Ruth. This reminds me of that yeah. in Dune or whatever. So I, and yeah. I think, it, with as much reading as we've been doing there's stories that stick with you and there's stories that aren't and yeah. as much as I wanted this to be one that would I think there are parts that will I think Olivia yeah. will stick with me um but yeah. the story overall I think will just be it was a story like you were saying it was a story and it was a good story but it was yeah. just a story it was it was quick more quickly resolved than I think others of hers have like you said like sh- she's only this is only what her second single third standalone third oh right the witch yeah um but like even the other two standalones I didn't feel left with quite as much I felt satiated with the other two and those were definitely adult fiction which is why I wonder yeah that's a good point so the last thing I had that I wanted to touch on was the epilogue and I think it's very similar to House in the Cerulean Sea, where it wasn't necessarily necessary. I think it just added a nice warm feeling for you to, to walk away from when uh, she has the ghost or the ghoul of Matthew still kind of showing her how to play piano at the end. Um, I thought that was a nice touch. Like we needed, well, I don't think we needed to know that Olivia was still in the house. I think we just assumed she would obviously become the guardian, but yeah. it, was, it was nice to have that moment with her and Matthew. I was going to say, especially because, like, at the end, obviously, like, with him essentially sacrificing himself to, like, protect her and sort of being, like, at the end of his rope in general, like, I think it was probably the best thing for him. But, like, to have them sort of reach this point where they can coexist, for lack of a better term. And it was really cute because, like, she'd always wanted to learn the piano. And, yeah, I thought that was, it was, like you said, it wasn't necessary, but I appreciated that it was there. Yeah. Did you have anything else for spoilers before we move out? I don't think so. I mean, one other thing that I think I really liked was the, and we kind of touched on this with like the whole half wall, partial wall gate situation. I just really liked that. Imagery? Yes. Like feeling like I was standing there at this wall and being like, oh, I'm just, I can see this field. It's no big deal. And then going over and having it be like totally fine. And I just, that whole transformation, transition, crossing over portion was just done so beautifully. I feel like, you know, when we were growing up uh, in Jay's neighbors, like woods, there was an old broken down truck 
that we mm-hmm. used to like play in, you know, occasionally. Or like you come across a fort in the woods and you play in it. Like I feel like if that, if I came across a door in the in a whatever in a bog down wall, I would play with it, you know. So I can oh, yeah. see that just being something of like a, oh, what is this? It gave me like very secret garden vibes. Yeah, but obviously like more sinister. I I think I want to say I, I remember her saying something that it was like a little bit of secret garden, a little bit of uh, crimson peak. Is that the one? Okay. That kind of feeling that she wanted to go yeah. for. So that makes sense. Definitely got me there. Yeah. Yeah. So a cool imagery and and something that is nice to. <laughs> think about uh as far as that's concerned and what maybe we would have done and what evils would have fallen us with it but with that we are going to move out of the book and uh move out of spoilers so with that we are moving out of spoilers and we are getting to our grading of the book so if this is your first episode welcome if it's not sorry you have to deal with this part of this every time uh but our mm-hmm. grading system is a dnd based grading system we do it based on a d20 roll one is bad 20 is good and then we add an ability uh check or modifier to that roll either positive or negative to come with up with our final score for the book i will go first so for me like i said I appreciated the writing. I appreciated the imagery, but to me, it just felt like a story. And again, I couldn't just write a story if I tried. So there's still something to be said about that. I enjoyed it. Like, honestly, part of it, when I was reading it, I was like, I enjoy this, but I feel like I could enjoy it more. And that kind of, that unfairly hung me up. I feel like if this wasn't a Schwab book that I was looking forward to for a year plus, I probably would have just been like, oh, that was a good book. But I think I put a little bit more on it because I was like, because it was her and I have such high expectations for her after everything I've read by her. So with that being said, for me, I'm going to give it a 15, which I think is a pretty solid number. Um, Again, it's not something I'm going to be like, this will change your life if you read this. But it's a cool story. There's some good parts to it, but I think it's going to leave you with some questions and maybe some desires that it went a little bit further for my modifier, this is a little bit of, I don't know when I'll get to use this one, so I'm going to use it because it's a little playful. Uh, I'm going to give it a plus two for sleight of hand. So just thinking about, obviously, that was how Olivia communicated, but also she was in the beginning there, she had multiple different lockpicks and things like that. So she could get into the different matrons rooms and steal their hidden cookies or oranges or whatever she wanted when they sent her to bed without dinner. And then just also thinking, like I said, about smashing the vase where like she would use her hands to make people notice her. Uh, So it's not really obviously what it's meant for in the game, but I thought that'd be a fun little modifier to use here. So for me, it's a 15 on the roll plus two for a 17. So again, a a good book, a good story, but I was really hoping for more and to say, I mean, it's still a 17. So I'm going to tell people to read it. Oh yeah. And it was quick too. Like for a 300 page book, you still just flew right through it. Flew right through it. Totally. Okay. So I'm, I agree with everything you've said. (laughs) I'm going to give it uh, lucky number 13 for a straight roll because that is my lucky number. I enjoyed the book. Like you said, I feel like it was maybe something I enjoyed more because of who wrote it and how much I admire her 
obviously like lots of really good points. I mean, she, she's phenomenal, but I think that it was different than what, I don't know what I was expecting really, to be honest, but it was a little different than what I was expecting. I still really enjoyed it though. Um, I'm going to give it a plus three for history. And this is like the history of, (laughs) this is kind of a weird added skill because it's sort of like giving it points for the things that it made me want to know about (laughs) rather than what it revealed. So like all of the history of the Priors and of Gallant and all of the history that Olivia was kind of having to learn and discover for herself, like walking down the hall with all of the portraits of all of her ancestors and seeing all the ghouls of all of her ancestors and the history of her parents' situation. And I just kind of, that I think was maybe, I'm giving it a high modifier for a thing that I wanted more of, but I think that that's just sort of like the path that it led me down. Like that, that's the aspect of the story that I was most intrigued by. Maybe not that I got the least of, but that I would want to know more of. Like I said before, I think this really fits as a sequel to something else. And I would love to read a prequel. (laughs) Um, And so that's a, that's a 16. Nice. Nice. All right. Yeah, I can't argue with that. So with that, we put a wrap on Gallant by V.E. Schwab, basically recommending that you check it out, that it is a good story uh, and that we enjoy her writing. And I'm sure you will, too. So with that, we are moving into our segments part of the show. We will start with current selection of what are we reading or have read recently that we enjoyed. I feel like I've read a lot of things recently, not as much as you have, but I finished with the Tamarare, Naomi Novik, Dragon, Napoleonic Times series. Nine books. Nine books. I did not read all nine recently. Obviously, this is over a large span of time. But I did finish, finish the last, I think, three since we last. I listened to the last two, and that was really nice going back to that because the narrator is great, and it really just lends itself to having like a British dude narrate. <laughs> it, it just was good for that reason. It, the story left me a little bit wanting um, there at the end, but I still just really enjoy the concept and the dragon's baller. Nice. I'm currently reading Views of Nightmares, which is the, the sequel to Strange to Dreamer. Um, not very far into it. I'll see how I feel about it <laughs> once I finish. And then what have I listened to recently? Queen's Gambit. And I think that might be, might be it. I haven't... Uh, I haven't been reading as much as Russell has. I've been watching Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was still four books you just touched on. So give yourself. That's true. That's true. I mean, Jesus. I, I haven't been watching Bridgerton. So that's probably <laughs> able to read so many books. For me, my journey started with Canticle by Ken Scholes. This was the second book of the Psalms of Isaac, which was just this weird fantasy book that I stumbled upon used. Uh, I've, forget what the first one was called lamentation but i read it last year and it's this world that he created that is like he has his own religion which plays a big part into it and he like jumps back and forth between many characters and they talk about prophecies and like every group has their own prophecy that they're going after and there's like different people trying to form the future so like there's these people that have their hands in it like the foundation yeah, kind of. There's like people that have like are, are trying to form the world the way they want it that have been dead for like at least a generation. And it's kind of like 
this is something I didn't even know that my grandfather did. And he like put this huh. person in power and it's like, huh. it's interesting. And I can't imagine keeping it all straight. Um, yeah. I think there's five books total. Uh, I only have up to book three so far that I've found, but uh, interesting. And so it gets a little bit preachy at times, uh, huh. not, not about real religion, about the religion in the book. So it, I always, I can read it and then I'm like, okay, I need to cleanse that with something else. <laughs> <laughs> a book that's been on my shelf for a while that you gave me that I really enjoyed was the left-handed booksellers of London by Garth Nix. Oh, it was so fun. Um, Wasn't it? It's an interesting idea. Him. And in the acknowledgements, he says, again, just where these ideas come from, he was doing an autograph signing or a book reading in this bookstore. And the person pointed out that everyone working that day was left-handed. And that is where it came from. So it has nothing really to do with booksellers, but uh, it was a super interesting book that I just ran through, really enjoyed. I finally read Leviathan Wakes, which is another book that I've had on my TBR for like ever by James S.A. Corey. That's the first book of the Expanse series. And it was pretty interesting how much it lined up with the show. And Yeah, it was pretty good for the first book, for sure. And for how much the show ending disappointed me. Um, <laughs> it was nice to get back to those characters, especially Miller. I always liked Miller. I thought oh. Jane was so good playing him. And to see I was going to say, that was like a really phenomenal casting. And to see how he was written, really how Jane portrayed him. I had no issue just visualizing that and remembering yep. Uh, that character. So I really enjoyed that. And the last one I wanted to touch on was Blackfish City by Sam J. Miller. This was an interesting one. It was a dystopian future where the world had basically fucked itself, believe it or not. Uh, Shocking. And uh, a lot of cities had been sunken underwater. So they had created man-made floating cities. And this one was in the Arctic. Blackfish City was in the Arctic. And it was this man-made place. Water world. Water world, uh, a little bit, but it was this man-made place that still had societal, you know, um, classes in it. So it was like, oh, tier tier one was like the rich folks who designed this, and they run the city. And then tier ten was like, how many moving containers could you stack on top of each other safely and cram as many people into as possible? So it's just about the dynamic of that, and talk about how. Like even in the most dire situations, our society still sucks and how people need to come along to change it. So it was an interesting book. The cover caught me. I posted it on my Goodreads. It was just a really interesting, well-designed cover and, and a book that I enjoyed. So I'll be passing that on to you so you can enjoy it too. And that was one, this always happens. I go to the bookstore to buy a book and then I get three or four and then inevitably one of those jumps to the top of my TBR which is why I read like Leviathan Wakes, Left-Handed Booksellers of London. Those have been on my shelf for a while. It's like, you've got to stop passing over these. And then you read them and you're like, holy shit, these are good books too. Wait, yeah, because I wanted to read them at some point. <laughs> Do you have um, Caliban's for the second one? Because I bought that. I don't. Um, yeah, you, you bought that at the used bookstore we're together. Um, yeah, I'll lend yeah. it to you. I appreciate it. I may listen to those. We'll see. Yeah, um, please listen to them. I mean, they're so good. Uh, I mean, thing. I listened to all of them audio and they were chef's kiss, except for, I think maybe the third book is read by some different narrator and it was terrible. I remember hearing that. Yeah. No, I might be taking a trip it, to see my, maybe parents. it was the fourth one. Anyway, it was one of them. Was bad. I may be taking a trip to see my parents soon. So I will, I was going to try audiobooks depending on whether or not I have co-pilots. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Just hoping for no co-pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done audiobooks, So it's a new adventure oh. as well. 
On that note, we move into our random recommendation, which Tasha has for us this week. I mean, I have it, but I have a physical copy of it. But this is a book I have not yet read. It is on my TBR shelf. It was recommended by Nern, actually, on our Instagram. Do you have the thing she wrote about it? I do. So as you guys remember a few episodes ago, we talked about how Nern discussed how we should take other people's recommendations and throw them out there too. So if you have a recommendation for us, throw it out to us and we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. So this book is called Reincarnation Blues by Michael Poor. Nern's recommendation was it's super creative vision of death and the afterlife, hilarious and poignant. Jacket quotes liken it to Neil Gaiman, Kurt Vonnegut, and Douglas Adams. I super enjoyed it. So and that's pretty high praise. Uh, I was going to say, we'll take that from Nern because we know she reads about as many books as we do. So yeah, definitely some experience there. I also appreciate the whole concept of like a different look at death, not not just because we read that Clune book. Oh, Under the Whispering Door. Under the Whispering, yes. Under the Whispering Door had also a very interesting take on death. And I appreciate that whole concept. I think that's cool. Nice. So uh, Tasha will read that at some point and let us know, yes. and then I will bother, borrow it from yes. her as well. So with that, we close out the show by talking about what is on the next podcast. And my God, you're going to have to listen to us gush again, because our next book is a duplicate author we've done before, but it is his new book from Harlan Coben. The book is The Match. <laughs> Believe it or not, if you listen to the show, you've heard us talk about him a lot a mystery thriller writer, the little tag for this one, a DNA match leads to more questions than answers as Wilde tries to learn about who he is after being abandoned for decades. This is a sequel to his book, Boy in the Woods, which uh, Taja and I have both read. She read it recently. It basically takes the main character of Wilde from that book or one of the main characters and focuses more on him. So it's been getting rave reviews. It came out two weeks ago and uh, very excited to cover that for you. So tune in next week as we get back in, or in two weeks, sorry, <laughs> as we get back to the world of mystery thrillers. But until then, this has been the ABC pod, the adult book club with Daja and Russell. Keep reading. Yours, that was really good, but your audio sounded really far away just then. I, I went too far away. We crushed the timing though. I know. <sighs>